Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Richard Schwartz, and I'm going to tell you a little about his background in a moment. Uh, We are going to be speaking about climate change and the impending climate crisis that's upon us. There is a very recent report from the IPCC, that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and uh, things seem even worse than we thought based upon their new report. And we're going to get into that and, uh, of course, get into diet and uh, what we all uh, can do as individuals and as a world community to uh, hopefully stave off this impending uh, catastrophe, Richard refers to it as. Hello, Richard. Hi. Thanks for having me on. And I really appreciate all the effort of all the years that you and Lori have been doing, and I wish you much continued success. Well, thank you uh, very much. It's uh, It's been too long since we've uh, chatted. Richard, I just want to remind our listeners, you are the author of a number of books, including Judaism and Vegetarianism, Judaism and Global Survival, Who Stole My Religion? Revitalizing Judaism and Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal Our Imperiled Planet and Mathematics and Global Survival. Uh, You are the uh, President Emeritus of Jewish Veg, which used to be called Jewish Vegetarians of North America. If people want to read uh, some of your materials, they go to jewishveg.org slash Schwartz. And uh, you are calling in from Israel, right? Correct, correct. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about this uh, new IPCC report. It's really devastating, uh, isn't it? What what's going on? Yeah, it really is devastating, and this is a really significant group. It came out with reports only, only every four, five, or six years, and as it says, intergovernmental. That means that there are climate experts, not just from the U.S., not just from any one country, but from many, many countries, highly respected group. And pretty much they're saying that we don't have that much time, that uh, that we have maybe 12 years to make major, major changes to kind of of keep the uh, total temperature increase at one and a half degrees Celsius uh, since uh, pre-industrial times. It's already now at about one degree Celsius. And uh, the chances of that happening are very slim because you just have to turn around everything, the way we get energy, cars and all. So actually, uh, beyond that, uh, the world's experts, climate experts, hope we can keep the temperature within 2 degrees Celsius, because that's something that we have much more of a chance to have happen. One very important thing is that in 2015, in Paris, Climate Change Conference, 195 nations, it's about all the nations of the world met, and that's where I came up with this idea of two degrees Celsius. And just about all the nations there pledged to make differences. But the thing is, even if all the pledges are kept, uh, it could hit three degrees Celsius by the end of the century. And if we keep going uh, without those pledges, or just the way we've been going, it could hit four degrees Celsius, which would mean an uninhabitable world. So... This is the greatest threat to humanity, and uh, it's something that uh, has to become a focal point for really uh, all of civilization, because if we do not make the changes necessary, 
and keep the temperature down and all the negative effects related to that, it's going to be uh, almost an uninhabitable world. Despite all of what you've just briefly laid out, I find that lots of folks are not really worried about this. They don't understand or they uh, don't agree uh, with the uh, Paris Accords or what the scientists are saying. Uh, Do you encounter that? And why do you think that is? Well, first of all, there was a book I read some time ago. It's called Climate Cover-Up. Just like years ago, there were many uh, so-called quote-unquote scientists being paid off to say cigarette smoking wasn't really that dangerous. They even had some doctors saying that. It too, there's tremendous efforts by the uh, fossil fuel industries to mislead people. And people are just not into the facts. I mean, because the evidence is so, so strong. As uh, we record this uh, interview, right now a tremendous hurricane Michael is heading toward the uh, panhandle near Florida and the U.S. We just had two monster storms a few weeks ago, uh, simultaneously last year. There were three uh, Category 4 or 5 hurricanes within a little more than a month, and there's such a strong consensus. But there are a lot of people trying to uh, mislead people. But as I indicate, the evidence is strong. 97% of the climate experts agree. And more important, every single major science academy agrees. And again, that's like consensus statements. And still more important are the peer-reviewed articles in respective science journals. And there it's almost 100% agreement. And some say, well, can we really believe all the scientists in spite of fact that it's so overwhelming. Even the U.S. military and other military experts are warning that there could be far more terrorism, violence, warfare even, as tens of millions of desperate, hungry refugees flee from the droughts, wildfires, storms, floods that we're seeing more and more happening. Uh, We exchanged uh, emails earlier this week, and uh, you indicated that there are some persistent uh, misconceptions or or myths. What do you find? Okay, some of the myths or fallacies. Number one, some feel that, believe it or not, the Earth is not warming, it's actually cooling. And that was because 1998 had to be an exceptionally warm year with what they call a, a very strong El Nino effect. And five or six years after that, it wouldn't get that warm. So this idea that it's cooling took precedent. But actually, what we have now is 2014 the temperature record and the two successive years after that, 2015, 2016, also kept breaking records. Last year was the second warmest, and the warmest year was out in El Nino. And as you know, we've had heat waves all over the world this year. And that'll probably be at least in the top five as well. So that's one policy. Another one is that, uh, now it may be a problem, but it's something way, even if our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, far away. But actually, it's happening now to such an extent. Let's give an example in California. First, they had heat waves that dried up things quite a bit, so there were droughts. And because things were so dry, they had really extensive wildfires. 
the former governor in California said the wildfire season used to be three months long, and now it's almost all year round. And because of all the trees being destroyed, when rains did come, it caused mudslides. That's the trees weren't there to absorb the water. And the current governor of California, Jerry Brown, sort of summarized it very well. He said that humanity is on a collision course with nature. So it's something happening now. Each year, it's more and more very extensive climate events, things that they said were 100 year storms, 500 year storms are happening. Uh, almost every year, sometimes two, three times in a year. Another fallacy is that we don't really know what's causing it. But once again, we have to look at the overwhelming consensus of science experts who are saying it's actually definitely human activities. In fact, we have so many automobiles now. We bring so much carbon and accent into the air. And by the way, there's a group called 350.org probably the leading uh, climate change group. And the reason it's called 350 is that uh, that's like a threshold that the experts have that uh, above 350 is more and more danger of very serious climate activities. So 350 is a threshold. The world's now at about 410, well above that. And instead of moving back, it's, it's actually increasing. So there's definitely far more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and that's why scientists are pretty much convinced that it's human activities, it's more and more greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, methane, other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and that with human activities causing it, it's got to be changes in human activities that are needed to reverse the trends. This is the greatest crisis for humanity. We want to have a decent world for our children and grandchildren. This has to become really a central organizing principle that everything we do, and certainly the diet, which we'll maybe talk about a little later, it has to be a prime consideration. Richard, what are the big picture things that people and world communities can do to stave off this impending right. disaster? What, what, what okay. do we got to do? Okay. Well, actually, really everything and everything we do with the recycling, you know, we think of transportation, we got to think more of public transportation, really improve that, get more mileage we on our cars, share rides, uh, walk and bike uh, if possible instead of using cars, energy coal, we definitely have to move away from that. The good news, by the way, is that there has been a lot of progress in moving towards solar and wind energy. Prices have gone down. It's much more competitive. And uh, just renewable energy in general. And uh, again, uh, something I'm sure you and your listeners agree quite a bit is the dietary changes shift as much as possible toward vegan diets because most people are aware that we have to, as we've been saying, reduce coal, uh, get more energy-efficient cars, use better light bulbs, recycle. All these are very positive, important, definitely has to be done. Richard, let me interrupt you right there. We're going to take a short break, and after this break, we'll be continuing our discussion focusing on diet and the environment. You're listening to Animals Today. 
For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Richard Schwartz about climate change. As you know, we have been advocating plant-based diets, vegan diets for years now, and now there's a lot of evidence demonstrating how plant-based diets are most kind to the earth. Richard, tell us about diet and the environment. Many unaware of the really very, very significant impact of animal-based diets on climate change, release of greenhouse gases, for example. I just want to mention two very important studies. And the first one was not from the Sierra Club Environmental Group or an animal rights group like the uh, People for the Ethical Treatment for Animals. It was from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization report called Livestock's Long Shadow in 2006. And the way it's an amazing conclusion, which said that the animal-based agriculture is responsible for more greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide equivalents than all the cars, ships, planes, all the means of transportation worldwide combined. Mm. And when you consider how many cars there are out there, how many traffic jams, how many planes are taking off somewhere in the world every minute, very, very significant. And by the way, that same report indicated, in, in, as of 2006, that within 50 years or so, there could be a doubling of meat consumption, largely because countries like China and India are moving away from rice-based diets to more and more consumption of animal products. Now, the second study was a cover story in World Watch magazine in 2009 that was called Livestock and Climate Change. And this was written by two environmentalists associated with the World Bank. Again, not an uh, environmental animal rights group, but certainly not a radical group. And they took many factors into account, like the destruction of tropical rainforests in order to create uh, pasture land and land to grow feed crops for animals, and they concluded that the livestock sector is responsible for at least 51% of all human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. Other studies, not quite as hard, but the bottom line is it's a major factor. That's largely because of methane emitted by cows, and methane is far more potent than carbon dioxide, uh, roughly about 80 times as potent. Well, I've seen figures from 72 to 105. So that is very, very significant that there'd be a major change to uh, plant-based diets, to vegan diets, and of course that would have many other beneficial effects. And that 
as I try to spell out my book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, and my over 250 articles on the Internet, is very, very consistent with Jewish teachings to show compassion to animals, to protect our health, to preserve the environment, to conserve natural resources, to help people, and to seek and pursue peace. So those are some of the things I think should be done. Another factor, one maybe a little controversial, is trying to limit the U.S. or the world population. Yeah. Which is now about seven and a half billion people, and instead of continuing to grow exponentially, at least the good news is that's leveled off, but it could hit by the end of the century something like 11 billion people, which means roughly a 50% increase. And again, at a time where we're seeing the devastating effects with the seven and a half billion and just a one degree Celsius increase so far, that is a factor. And uh, what we really need is world leaders to come out and indicate how significant the threats are, and it must be a central organizing principle to avert that climate catastrophe. And one final thing that uh, I hope doesn't offend too many listeners, I think the political process has to be a factor. We mentioned that 195 nations just about every nation in the world agreed climate change is a threat. As we know, though, President Trump is pulling out of that agreement, and uh, he's really in denial, as is the Republican Party, about climate change. And Trump appointed head of the Environmental Protection Agency, a climate denier, appointed others like that, and really turning back, trying to the regulations that have been put into practice to reduce greenhouse gases. An amazing thing, it was just a report out uh, from the Trump administration and something was sort of buried in the report trying to justify not increasing the gas mileage that by the end of the century, we could be a total of seven degrees Fahrenheit warmer, which is almost four degrees Fahrenheit, Almost saying, you know, this is inevitable, so uh, we don't have to bother with uh, improving gas mileage. So these are some of the factors that have to be everything that is done has to be taken into account that we're heading toward a climate catastrophe and we've got to do everything possible to avert it. People don't need to become vegan 100% overnight. Even changing some of their meals to plant-based meals starts having an effect right away, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Because one factor, by the way, is that mentioned the importance of methane emitted from farmed animals. Turns out that methane has what they call relatively short half-life, and most methane say, emitted today will be gone from the atmosphere in like 20 years whereas carbon dioxide could be in the atmosphere for hundreds of years. So a change could be significant because, uh, again, uh, you know, whatever uh, methane has been emitted into the atmosphere will be gone in 20 years. So that would really change things and give us more time to try to also reduce future carbon dioxide emissions. So I definitely agree with that. 
You're listening to Animals Today. More with Richard Schwartz after the break. Listening to Animals Today. Welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Richard Schwartz. Richard, I want to get your reaction to something I've observed, and that is um, what I perceive to be a belief that technological advances are just around the corner and they are going to save us mm-hmm. from this. They're, mm-hmm. they're just going to be able to, whether it's, you know, scrub all the carbon that's necessary mm-hmm. or have. Uh, or we're going to have abundance of uh, clean energy any moment now or whatever. And so they're not, they're not really so worried. It's going to all work out. What do you think? Okay. Well, technology definitely has to be part of the solution in terms of, as I said before, there's been great advances in solar and uh, wind energy, and that's become much less expensive, and that's advancing. But uh, according to the report you mentioned, that Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, with all their warnings, they have not uh, indicated confidence in that. I mean, it's something, hopefully, hopefully, of course, they'll do everything possible. But uh, to depend on that uh, could be negative. There's something called technological um, optimism or something. So the thing is, Hopefully it'll happen, but certainly we can't depend on it. We have to do everything possible in other ways. And unfortunately, often there are side effects in this kind of technology that turn out to be worse. You know, sometimes it cures worse than a disease. So uh, I definitely don't think we can rely on it. So, Richard, let's uh, wrap up by talking a little bit about maybe geopolitics as you understand it. You've got all these countries that are signed on and hopefully mm-hmm. the United States right. will come back to its census regarding the, the Paris Agreement. Do you think that the majority of countries really will strongly participate in cutting down their uh, carbon emissions and, and their greenhouse gas emissions? I'm thinking mm-hmm. of places like China and Russia and, uh, and India. Um, I'd like to see some good evidence. What do you think they'll do? Well, again, they all signed onto that statement. I think they suddenly realized it. I mean, if you turn on the TV nowadays and you see the horrendous storms and what it's happened like last year in Houston, three or four days of rain, it just flooded the whole area in the Carolinas. And by the way, there are a number of reasons that the storms are more severe, that the Waters are higher, very briefly, and the waters are warmer, giving more energy, and there's more water in the atmosphere. I think these countries seeing what's happening, uh, as every person should. I mean, there's reports almost every single day on this. By the way, a number of years ago, China, realizing it's having all kinds of environmental problems, adopted the so-called one-child-per-couple policy. Now they've moved away from that because for many years, they had that, and they don't have perhaps enough uh, young people for the work and all that. So I think any reasonable person seeing what's happening and seeing the various reports, the objective reports, and some of these Catholic, for example, the Pope came out with such a powerful encyclical about climate change a year or two again, of course, based on the expert climate experts that uh, advise him. Uh, I would think that uh, countries are more and more aware of it, by the way, in the U.S., even though the federal government's not doing enough, luckily, 
very fortunately, the mayors and governors and corporation heads are very aware of that. So, so positive things are happening there. That's Richard Schwartz. Thank you very much for coming back on Animals Today and chatting with us. Well, many thanks for this opportunity, and uh, I hope, again, that it has an impact and people realize the importance, and every listener will talk to their family, friends, co-workers, relatives, uh, and get the word out and uh, have very respectful conversations on the urgency of doing everything possible to avert a climate catastrophe. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.